In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron, here along with my co-host, Patrick. Hey, everybody. And we want to welcome you to episode one of Singin' Film. No, 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 you aren't in the wrong place. But with this being the first of back-to-back music-related episodes, maybe we should change the name. (laughs) Well, Aaron, I don't know about that, but I don't hate it. In fact, this is episode 20, and we are overjoyed to be talking about Sing Street, a movie that made us both smile quite a bit. If you're new to the podcast, feel free to check out some of the backlog when you finish the episode. And don't hesitate to find us on Twitter, Facebook, or send us an email. We'd love talking to you. Yep, we sure do. Uh, So, Patrick, it's been a busy week. We haven't talked as much as usual. Um, I know I've been all over the place. So what have you been up to? Well, I have been not busy, but occupied. I've had different things going on that have um, just kind of taken me different places. Location, you know, geographically speaking, I've been running errands for the family. I've been doing a little bit of freelance work here and there. And so I haven't been able to watch a lot and really haven't had much of a desire to kind of dive into anything. But I wanted to try to get back into some reading. The first half of the year, I was really trying to knock out a bunch of novels and different things on my kind of 2016 reading list. And um, frankly, due to the podcast and some other stuff, I've fallen off the, the radar with that. So I decided rather than getting into a new novel to visit one of uh, uh, the graphic novels that I've purchased in the last probably eight months and dive into that. It didn't take that long to read. And because it was short, I felt like I could tackle it. I did. And it's from the DC universe. Good choice. And it's, uh, yes. And it's a it's a graphic novel. Well, it's a trade paperback or whatever. It's a, it's a collected edition of a seven issue miniseries called Identity Crisis, and it was written by uh, Brad Meltzer, and the art is what really drew me to it, no pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) It was by um, a guy named Rags Morales. I got first introduced to him when the New 52 launched, and he was drawing action comics with Grant Morrison. Really enjoyed his stuff. And this trade, this miniseries, takes place, I can't remember if it's before or after Crisis on Infinite Earths, but because the word crisis is in it, I had a feeling that it took place around that big event. And it's it's interesting because it's about, it's really, it, it's like an espionage mystery story. Hmm. A superhero has been, um, has been murdered and the Justice League, all the related characters from the then DC universe that was existing come together to try to solve the mystery and it takes a turn at I would guess around issue four probably the middle of the series where we then find out that it's not they have an idea about who murdered this particular superhero but it's actually not who they think it is and there's a big twist at the end and I don't want to get into all the details because I don't want to spoil it but it's it was interesting to me because it it was it's it's not a i would say typical superhero story it didn't involve big action sequences and 
lots of fighting with alien beings and stuff like that. I'm, I'm a Superman fan, so that's kind of par for the course for me when I read his stuff. But to see a Justice League-centered comic that centers around a kind of a human mystery grounded story, it really, really was interesting. And like I said, the the art is what drew me to it. And Rags did not disappoint. And the the issue that I have is a 10th anniversary edition. So it's got sketches, it's got commentary. And what I love is near the end, like we're actually at the end, the back probably fourth of the of the of the book is individual panels that the writer and the artist describe how they came to build that panel and what they were thinking about. And so we get into the heads of both Brad Meltzer and Rags Morales. So it made the reading experience that much more enjoyable. And I was really glad to finally dive into it. So if you haven't checked it out, it's Identity Crisis, Brad Meltzer, Rags Morales. Cool, man. I may have to put that one on my list. Actually, really enjoy the way you described it uh, as not being a typical superhero story because as much as we love that stuff, I think with the recent onslaught of comic book movies, um, it's easier to become burnt out on that repetitiveness. Yeah. And, and you really just want something unique in that genre. Um, right. With the same heat row, same characters, like you said, but a little different tone. Uh, and so that sounds really cool. I need to do this. Yeah. I need to get back to reading yeah. too. It's, I mean, it's, it's good stuff, man. I think the thing that drew me to it more than anything else besides the art was the fact that in light of the movie that we watched this week, it's, it's a very, it's a non epic story. Like it's, it's very, it, the story itself is, is rich with, with good narrative and it doesn't have to be overblown to be entertaining. Yeah, for sure. That's, uh, <laughs> it's a good comparison to uh sing street. Well, yeah, so that's awesome. Go ahead. Yeah. What, what, what about you? What, what you been doing? Well, I was able to take in a few extra movies this week. Um, I mean, as you know, I'm very hobby challenged. I have lots and lots of different interests and I'm trying to, <laughs> to squeeze and cram in my time. I had two different D and D sessions this week. Um, so that was, that was good times. Another one with my kids and one where I got to be the, the game master for the first time. And that was a whole nother ball game. Um, ton of fun trying to be the storyteller, but it makes me very much respect what you do when you're writing your, your 48 hour movie projects. Uh, because it is not easy to tell a story that engages and that engages everyone. And that's what I found. I mean, I only had like five people to quote unquote, please, or to <laughs> satisfy. And I found it hard. So, you know, yeah. it, it makes me think about how, directors and writers um, have such a huge challenge. It just makes me a little even more empathetic than I already was to not overdoing my criticism for that reason, because it's, it's hard. It's a, it's a challenge and you pour yourself into everything you do when you create a story. So yeah, um, there's no shortcuts being taken. (laughs) That's true, man. And I'll tell you this listeners, um, he described the experience with me offline earlier this week and I was incredibly impressed. I was listening to this. It was a, you know, it, we, we use Voxer a lot to, to talk to one another because obviously <laughs> we talk a lot, which is probably why this podcast exists. <laughs> um, but when he was describing it to me, it was just insane, the level of detail that he had to go into. And I was just incredibly impressed with, a, you know, someone who does that just 
almost on the fly. I mean, this is stuff that is almost done spontaneously because things have to happen immediately. I mean, at least with writing a script, you can you can do some edits here and there. And <laughs> so kudos to you, man. It's a it it's probably a similar experience, but in a lot of ways it's very different. So yeah. very, very cool. Thank you. Um, I got to a chance to watch a couple movies though. So, uh, everybody wants some, uh, it was a blind spot for me. It came out earlier this year, which it's rare that I miss a link letter film. Um, especially after boyhood, I absolutely adored boyhood. And so I was pretty pumped to see what he was going to do next. Um, this movie was billed as the spiritual successor, so to speak, to use that term to dazed and confused. And, after watching Sing Street, which is also a coming-of-age tale, I thought it would be cool to pair it pretty much back-to-back. I watched it the next morning um, with Everybody Wants Some to see you know, how, it, how, it, how it stood up to Sing Street. And I'd, I'd seen a lot of you know top lists that have both of these films in them. Well, to be honest with you, it did not hold up to Sing Street, in my opinion. Um, I was very disappointed it did not feel like uh, the charm of a normal link letter film to me. It felt very forced and very, I don't know. I felt like they were trying too hard with the dialogue. It was so kind of over the top with the, the language and the, the kind of the, just the vul- vulgar and kind of grossness of the, the way that these characters were asking acting in the beginning. Um, they were trying to build their archetypes up and I, I get it. I just, after watching Sing Street, man, it was such a 180 in tone from that movie and the way that that movie approached things that it made me like it a lot less than I probably would have liked it had I watched it independently. And it also just raised my love of Sing Street even higher for what <laughs> it was able to accomplish. So mm-hmm. not I didn't I didn't love everybody wants some. Um, the next one is The Princess Bride. So my YMCA recently... Uh, got to designate one of the streets off the side of our building as a festival street in our city. And so we took over this um, summer program that the city hosts for outdoor movies. Uh, They'd been hosted somewhere else for years, but we decided we would take it over and start running them. Uh, This is the last one of the season. And then starting in 2017, we'll be doing that whole thing ourselves. I think I'm going to actually be, running a volunteer committee to pick the movies because they know I'm the movie guy. So that should be fun. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. But this first one was princess bride. And I, I couldn't miss this. I mean, this is my favorite movie of all time. And, uh, so I, I grabbed the kids. Uh, we went down there, a huge turnout, uh, had one of the big inflatable screens. Uh, we bought a big new nice projector for it and it was a great experience. Sounded good. Looked good. Lots of people just hanging out in there, you know, blankets. And some people brought like air mattresses. Just a, just such a cool experience and um, reaffirmed my absolute love of that movie. Got to hear the kids talking, you know, quoting it and talking about it all the way home. They'd seen it before, but they hadn't seen it for several years and they're much older now. And they absolutely adore it. So that was an awesome experience. And Very, they, very nice. Yeah. And lastly, uh, the other thing that I was doing in the movie slash TV realm is I finally decided it was time to slowly get myself caught up on a couple DC TV shows that I've both watched in the past and wanted to watch. Um, I've, I've watched up through season two of arrow and I was a big fan, 
And I have intentionally not started Flash yet because what I wanted to do was keep the continuity of Arrow and Flash together. And so to do that, what I started with is a plan where I watch season one, episode one of Flash, and then I watched season three, episode one of Arrow. And then I just alternate like that. So I watch Flash, Arrow, Flash, Arrow, Flash, Arrow, Flash, Arrow. And I'm going to do that all the way through the seasons until I'm caught up. And I'm not so I'm not too far in. I think I'm only three or four episodes in for each show because, I mean, there's, you know, two shows. Uh, but, man, it is. <laughs> First of all, Flash is everything it's been cracked up to be. I am all in on that show. It took me. Yes, you are. I think it yes, took me you five <laughs> minutes before I texted you. And was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like the, the opening, the way the tone of the show is just, it's so good. And it's such a great compliment to Arrow for me. Arrow is my moody, dramatic, um, it's darker, you know, it's, it's got that, that, you know, love triangle type stuff going on. Like that's my, that's my Arrow. I didn't need that from Flash. I needed it to be different. And it's different. It's light and it's fun and it's happier and just it's brighter and more cheerful in a lot of ways and more innocent. And so to watch them back to back constantly is really cool. Um, it, it keeps me from going into a major moods either way. <laughs> so I, I'm loving it and it's going to take me a while. Uh, it, it will take me a while to get caught up, but I will get caught up. We're hoping that uh, he gets caught up by the season premiere of both Flash and Arrow this fall. Don't know if that's going to happen. That's a month's worth of uh, television watching, and it'll be tough, but we're hopeful. Yep, I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna make a run at it, and you know, if I don't, maybe I'll get caught up by Christmas and be able to, you know, catch up and jump in mid season like real time or something. Sounds good, man. I love it. I love it. Well, speaking of jumping in, let's uh, let's dive into Sing Street, man. I've been really excited about about talking about this. And I believe when I was watching it, I think I just about midway through, I remember texting you and saying, Sing Street makes me smile. And this is before it got really good for me. So <laughs> uh, before we dive in, of course, there will be spoilers, although this isn't an epic movie that has a ton of like, oh my gosh, what happened? But You've been forewarned, as you always are. And um, so if you haven't seen it, go check it out, um, not only for spoiler reasons, but just because it's a great movie. Um, so without further ado, Aaron, what'd you think? I mean, I know you loved it, but let's let's go. Oh, I, I loved it. There is no doubt about it. What you, what you say about Sing Street is a movie that makes me smile. I could not agree more. Those words sound so simple and almost boring in the world of movie reviews and movie criticism and, and podcasts where we talk about something for up to an hour. This is a movie that made me smile. It just seems like almost like a cop out. It's like, come on, like you ain't got more to say about it than that. But you know what? That says a lot when it you're does. talking about this movie. Um, That's for sure. So I, I will tell you, I am a fan of John Carney. I went in a fan of begin again. And once, once is a movie that I, I love, 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 but I cannot watch <laughs> anymore, really, because uh, it is just one of those such powerful experiences um, that it takes you to a place emotionally that you got to be ready for. And I don't know if I am personally right now, <laughs> but but Carney has a way of doing that. So expectations were high. Um, this one, 
for the first few minutes, I was kind of like, what is happening here? Like, I didn't really, it took a few minutes for me to, to grasp where we were, what our, what our setting. I mean, I knew it was in Ireland and Dublin in the eighties, but I didn't, you know, understand our characters yet and what I was going to be getting. In fact, we actually threw the subtitles on uh, because there were some really thick Irish accents. And, and over the course of the film, we were able to turn them off because we started to understand how the cadence of how each character talked, which is neat. Um, But yeah, it just really quickly grabbed me and I was drawn in and I, I loved it, man. I am, you know, the reason I heard about it is because people had been championing it and going around saying, you got to see this. No one's seen Sing Street, but it's amazing. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. And I, so I was like, well, we've got to try this, right? And uh, they're right. Everybody who said that is correct. This is a, a great, great movie. Um, I still haven't completely settled on where I'm going to say this one is. It is in my top three. So it, it is in my top three for 2016. I do not know if it's going to shake out as number one, but I can tell you it is in contention for that. Um, this movie made me very, very happy, sad. So what about you? <laughs> well, like you, I'm a fan of Carney's work, although I have not seen once yet. It's it's on my list um, immediately after um, seeing Sing Street, I looked up the rest of his his filmography, which included uh, Begin Again, which is obviously my first entry into his stuff, and I loved it. It was so just good stuff because I, I like Mark Ruffalo, and seeing seeing him in, in most things makes me happy. But um, it was a surprise movie for me when I saw it, uh, Begin Again. So watching Sing Street, I had high hopes like you did, and like you at the very beginning, I felt like, am I watching Napoleon Dynamite in Ireland? Because this felt a little weird, like quirky. Yeah. The music was kind of, you know, the, the scored music was kind of weird. What's happening here? And like you, I was, I had to kind of rewind a little bit and hear, okay, what did they just say? Because you're right, the accents were, were very thick. But you said it best that by the time we get to the, like the middle of the film, the cadence and understanding kind of how they say things really helped me understand the dialogue more. I, this is actually the first movie, one of the first movies in a while that I watched twice mm. within within a couple of days. That's important. I, I, it's big. I watched it the first time um, and got sheer enjoyment out of it and, you know, put our, you know, put the show notes in. And then I went to the gym the other day to run and I was like, you know what? I want to watch that again because it's about an hour and a half and that could at least get me through through half of my run or whatever. And so I watched it again not only to pick up new stuff, but to catch more dialogue, to get character names, because the character names in here are are not necessarily normal for me. Um, (laughs) at least, (laughs) at least not when you spell them. So no, they're not. I didn't want, I didn't want to keep saying dude's brother and that black guy. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know anybody in my real life named in gig. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it was for, it was for, it was for, um, logistical reasons but it was also because i genuinely enjoyed it and wanted to experience that again and i found myself smiling at the exact same parts even bigger and being reminded of why i like those parts so much and what i loved most about this movie is that it didn't try to be anything but the story it was telling it didn't try to be bigger than it was um the synopsis i read on imdb 
it just doesn't do it justice. A boy growing up in Dublin during the 1980s escapes his strained family life by starting a band to impress the mysterious, mysterious girl he likes. But it's perfect. Like, it is perfect. It, you're right, it is. It captures exactly what the movie's about, but it doesn't capture the spirit of the movie. And I love that. Because, yes, I love it too. That's what I was getting at. I'm glad you said that. Because the spirit of the movie was the surprise part of it. I was like, oh, that's an, that's an interesting, I want to I hear that story. But the story we actually got and everything around it was so much bigger, yet the story itself didn't have to be any bigger than that synopsis. And I, I just, I was so pleasantly surprised watching it and experiencing that. Oh, you're, you're so right. I'm, I'm, I'm super glad you brought that up because I wanted to mention something about that and how, you know, it, it didn't get, it didn't catch fire in America. It did not hit in cinemas. I, you know, to be honest with you, I don't even remember when this came out. I know nothing about that. I, I knew I didn't hear about it until after the fact. So us being moviegoers frequently had no idea about this one. It wasn't on our radars either. Um, and that's, you know, some people would call that a marketing fail. And it's a lot like a Jeff Nichols type of movie in the sense that it's an artist's movie who makes a movie with, he makes it his way. Uh, and there is no apology for that. And he's not going to change that style. Uh, he's not going to change it for anything. And, and you know what? If it doesn't fit into a marketing, big marketing campaign, then it doesn't fit into a big marketing campaign and so be it. Um, yeah. And I think that that was great because John Carney's going to still keep making movies. He's not going broke any, any day now. Um, and we have been blessed with this movie because of it. Uh, because you you hit on it. You said you know, it's not really about just the simple fact of the boy who's trying to impress the girl, which is awesome. Just everything about that is awesome. <laughs> that whole, the whole fact that this occurs and why they create this band is just great. <laughs> I love that scene. I love that moment. Oh <laughs> man. Isn't it so good? It just, it, that's one of the things that Sing Street captured for me is that for the first time I watched a movie and even though the actors looked a little older than 15 or 16, I believed because of their actions and because of the way that they, they dealt with things that they were those ages. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times Absolutely. in Hollywood, we get hot, you know, 25 year old actresses playing quote unquote, 16 year old girls. Um, and they're written in a way that is like a 21 year old girl, not a 16 year old girl. But these characters feel like their ages. They make decisions that equate to what a 15, 16-year-old would do. I mean, that's the whole thing starts up because he sees a pretty girl, he walks up to her, he tries to flirt, and then on a whim, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, um, and I'm in a band because I want to impress you. And then she calls him out on it. And so he's like, yeah. well... Uh, I told a white lie. Crap. Now what am I going to do? Oh, well, I guess I'll start a band. <laughs> and like, who has not done that, right? Who in their young age has not wanted to impress that girl um, or that guy or whatever, um, that person, and done something or, or kind of fibbed about themselves to try and put themselves in a better light and then being caught in this situation. Now, we may not all have followed through by starting up a band, but that's what's awesome about it is that he – takes those steps. I mean, he has got 
some cool confidence at the beginning. I love it. Right. I, I think you hit on something interesting that the characters in here the, and the actors that play them, I think I remember reading that Carney didn't want to cast people that were, that were well-known. And I think that helped the story because we weren't trying to find a Katniss in a Jennifer Lawrence. We weren't trying to, because uh, I know we do that. I mean, we, we see an actress or we see an actor and we go, hey, look, it's the Hulk. Or, hey, look, it's so-and-so from, from this movie. And it takes more in the story to get us to believe that this character is an abusive father or a drunk uncle or, you know, a mighty you know, princess warrior or something like that. I think the strength of this is the fact that these were no-name actors. I say no-name. They were, they, were, they were very good actors, by the way, but they were not well-known to an American audience. And so we didn't really have a place to start from, which gave us the ability to invest in the story on its own merit. And so when we have that moment where he is is trying to impress Rafina. We're not distracted by, hey, where have I seen her? We're laughing at the fact that he says, you know, if you want to be in my video, I guess I need your digits. And I'm like, dude, that was so <laughs> was smooth. So smooth. <laughs> and then and then he finishes it up by walking over to uh to his friend and goes, when you just start a bend. You know, it's just like, oh man. And it just goes right into the next scene. And and that that ties into this suspension of disbelief because there were there were several things that you could argue like okay that that's too convenient like the fact that they meet somebody who actually knows how to play all these instruments that he has all these instruments but it's all explained away and you're like okay that's fine but again watching this movie you're going you don't really care that oh they just happen to meet um this guy uh who knows how to play all these instruments and who has all these instruments so they can start a band that's part of the fun of that montage of forming the band anyway is you're not trying to get the technicalities right in your head. You're like, we want these guys to start a band because we want to see what happens next. Will they write a song? Will they make a video? What will happen with him and Rafina? Because we're going back to the original synopsis. And will and, it be any good? Will the music be any good? I mean, that's I yes. was I was completely anxious and excited to hear like okay they're gonna start a band i was like this is gonna be awful this is gonna be a train wreck and i can't wait to see it yeah. um <laughs> because i wanted to know what was gonna happen and they start uh what's interesting is they start by doing a cover of rio by duran duran and we get <laughs> we get um what's his name oh, gosh see i still can't remember his name the main character um connor. it's uh connor talking to his brother brendan his brother who is a huge music guy you know, his, his, and he's listening to this, this playback <laughs> and he stops the tape and Connor says, yeah, we, uh, we, we sped up there a little bit and he goes, yeah. And he, he starts, he goes over <laughs> to the door and, and he opens it like, like somebody just cut one and he's like, what's, what are you doing? It's like, I'm just trying to get rid of the stink that is that, that song. And that moment starts the journey that Connor is on of learning how to write from his heart, write real music. And that's where I think the, 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 the line of the movie for me, um, when, when Brendan says, he says, rock and roll is a risk 
you risk being ridiculed. Mm-hmm. And I think that sums up what we're about to get into because Connor is now in the world of growing up. Yeah. And, and we, we really start capturing the bigger picture of what's going on in this movie that it's, while it stems from um, trying to impress a girl, or while while the, while the well, I'm sorry, while the goal is trying to impress a girl, it stems from something else, and we start finding out more of what that is. And I love that. Well, and when he, you know, says rock and roll is a risk, and you risk being ridiculed, the the thing that you know we can take away as a viewer of a movie is that it's not just rock and roll. We're watching a story that's using music to tell its tell its particular tale here, but this is something we can all relate to in maybe a different facet of our life, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's your desire to tell stories. Um, yeah. It's it, it, maybe it's it's you know my desire to run a and D game. It could be it can be anything. It could be a desire to uh, create any kind of art. Um, mm-hmm of any kind that, that is a risk. And so we can take that personally and connect to it, even if we're not music players, cause I don't play an instrument. Um, but I was able to think of things in terms of myself, you know, before we move on, I wanted to mention one thing I loved about the characters and the casting that you were talking about, um, and not using traditional actors or known actors. Like you mentioned the music itself is very imperfect. So mm-hmm. we hear mess ups in the music. We we get to truly see a progression from song number one all the way to the end. And even at the end, it's not perfect. So it's not this fake story of these kids that start this band and suddenly become rock stars. That's not what this is about. And he tells it so purely and so naturally um, that it just, it makes it something you can really, really dig your hands into because it feels real. This whole world, exa- this whole world felt very real to me. I felt like I could walk in and be like, oh, yep, these, these people exist. Yeah. And when you mentioned the creation of the music, anybody who considers themselves an artist can relate to those first scenes of the songwriting those are some of my favorite moments where when when connor and Eamon were writing that first song and they were trying to come up with a chorus and Eamon was like what does that mean he goes i don't know and he's just i mean he's coming up with lyrics and then Eamon's like let's try this and there's this like trial and error and finding that one thing that makes it click and when it does both people are like oh yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. And they start building off of that. And and the song itself isn't great. I mean, it's um I think the it's the, the riddle, riddle of, of the model. model. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's Which, 100%. It's 100% a flirt. Like that's what it is. Yeah. You know. But but the excitement that you see, this is when I realized that I was smiling for the first time is I I know that feeling of when you feel like you have a good idea and you're ready to execute it, you're ready to put it on paper or you're ready to fire up the, the the computer and start, you know, designing something and to see it come to life. I mean, I resonated with that. I resonated with those guys and those, those moments where, where they, they were just giddy because they were like, we're doing something original. We're, we're creating something. 
and there's a sense of pride and a sense of just complete just awe and joy that comes with seeing something you own, something that you created come to life. As bad as it sounds, as weird as it looks, I mean, like that video was just horrific. But I want to say this, it was perfect for the style of that day. Like I saw so many videos growing up in the 80s that looked just like that. Yes. <laughs> yes. And and so we we have this these two things happening. We have this like rough just just raw amateur video and song that completely looked like the era. It's like it was affirming that it's I can't describe it. It's like it was the the realness of the creator being played out in something that completely related to me because that was exactly what I saw growing up. So it wasn't like Carney was faking any of that. Like, I need to make this look bad. No, he just did it. And it turned out that it, while it looked bad, it also looked beautiful because it looked authentic. I loved it. Oh, man, me too. I All of the videos in this movie just were so good. I was blown away by, like you said, the authenticness of how they were able to create them. Um, I, I wonder, honestly, about how they were, how they came up with them. I'd love to read up on that. Uh, more and find out about that. Maybe maybe I'll grab this uh, DVD, this Blu-ray. I, I fully would love, love to own this. Hopefully there's some commentary on there um, that maybe describes that process because it's hard to create something that is not authentic and really make it feel that way. Like That is a superiorly like talented thing to do. Um, and he nails it. He knocks it out of the park. So yeah, you you mentioned earlier too that you know it's not a story of necessarily just boy meets girl and wants to get girl and so he forms a band to get girl. There are several really deep, touching, uh, very powerful themes going on throughout this film. the 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 biggest, I would say, or the most overarching, maybe not the biggest, but the most most the one that reaches the most characters is this constant idea of brokenness and how characters are dealing with brokenness. It might be dealing with brokenness in your family situation with your parents. You know, we see divorces. might be brokenness in dealing with your parents' situation who's abusive. We see that. It could be brokenness in dealing with your parents' situation who's absent. (laughs) We see that. Um, It could be dealing with, um, you know, being a loner in school and not having friends. There's just um, so many different forms of this that are occurring in our characters that we get to experience. Did you, did, is, did any one of those particular characters stick out to you? The Either any one of their stories, I guess, more than others? The surprise standout to me was Connor's brother, Brandon. We get who, by the way, um, kind of reminds me a little bit of Heath Ledger. I got Chris I, Pratt. I got Chris Pratt okay. with long hair. Okay. I got that too. Yeah. I got that. Yeah. A little Chris Pratt with some, with some, uh, Heath Ledger in there. Um, he was phenomenal and he surprised me because at the very beginning, his introduction, he looks like the jerk older brother, like the deadbeat dropout. And I think that's intentional because and this is what I love about storytelling. 
is the ability to challenge our perceptions. Um, as a side note, this is what we were trying to do in our 48-hour film was to challenge the perception of the audience to think one thing and then develop it into some develop a character into something else. Having 48 hours to do that for a five-minute film, you know, not the best place to explore that, but whatever. I digress. I think that Brandon's relationship with Connor helped expand who he was and helped us get to know him. And what I love is seeing him become the mentor to Connor and their relationship going from just nothing in common to Brandon finally seeing that he has something to connect with his younger brother. His younger brother wants to impress a girl and he wants to do it with music. Well, where does he go? He goes into like the cathedral of all music. I mean, his older brother's room is full of albums. Every night he refers to, I mean, he even refers to his room as like his school, like you're going to school. You, 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 this is, this is what you're going to study now. And I love seeing that relationship and how it develops Connor throughout the movie. We see his music get better. We see his looks change with each influence. And we see the song style change with each influence, which I think is just phenomenal. And we, we see Brandon, Brandon almost just becoming just a, a father figure in some cases. Not just an older brother, but a father figure. And that was, that was really surprising to me because I didn't expect that. You know, when you hear about that synopsis, you don't expect a brother story to come out. And, you know, it tells me that this movie wasn't just about Connor's story of redemption because it felt like, you know, he had his struggles, but also Brendan's in a lot of ways. He did. What about you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's, that's the biggest one for both of us, I would say is the brothers aspect of this film that really resonated. And I'm a single, not a single, <laughs> I, I'm a single sibling. No, I am a single sibling, but I am also a, a, a only child. Um, but Brendan, I love that you mentioned that he was a father figure as well, because unfortunately the family situation is not good. Um, the mom is seeing someone else, the dad's not dealing with it very well. They're not talking about it. Nobody's happy. And, and Brennan is really all that Connor's got. Um, they have a sister too. If there's a throwaway character in the film, the sister kind of, it's almost like, eh, why is she there? <laughs> she gets very little uh, to do or to say. Um, but I, I do really enjoy the Brennan character. He is, he is my favorite of the movie. Um, by far, actually. Um, he reminds me in some ways, not completely, but um, one of my favorite films going back is Reality Bites. And a lot of people would say it's not a great movie. It's probably not. But, you know, for me, because of when I watched it, because of when I was obsessed with it, uh, because of where I was in my teenage life when I was feeling all, you know, melancholy and jaded and and I just wanted to be like them it was like the beginning of hipsterism in a lot of ways you know like that was that was it and Brendan had some of that that personality that stoner drunk dropout but yet super intelligent like like he could be anything he wanted to be if he would get off the couch and go do it right and so I really thought it was awesome how over the course of this film we see him continually nurturing his brother and putting all of his effort and his time into making things better 
for Connor, you know, leading up to some awesome stuff at the end of the movie that I'm sure we'll talk about later. Yeah. But he became, he became a, almost a guru of, of most things. You know, you, there were some really great lines that when he was describing, he and he and Connor were sitting on the stairs and they were, he was talking about his mom and how she sits there watching the sunset every night. I mean, very poetic words coming out of his mouth, the way he was describing that and how unhappy she is when they're sitting at the table and his sister, um, their sister's kind of, I don't know if she's ridiculing or, or making some comment about music being dumb. And he goes, anything can be a vocation. You know, a, a, a trash man can be a, can be a vocation. This can be a vocation. You know, art can be, you know, paint, painting can be a vocation. And she, just the things that, that he says sound like things that someone who should be in college should say, you know, a very, it felt very educated, but at the same time it felt very street smart. Like even from the very beginning when they're sitting down on the couch watching the Duran Duran video for the first time, he's trying to describe to his dad why a music video is valid, why musicians don't have to be shown playing live. I mean, it's just, it's intelligent. It's street intelligence. And, and that was the first time I go, Hmm, this guy has something to say. Yeah. And he doesn't, and he doesn't do it for Connor. That was the other thing that I really appreciate. Right. He never right. writes the music for Connor. He never writes the lyrics for Connor. Um, he never steps in and imp- imprints himself onto what Connor is doing, mm-hmm. which is what you see in a lot of real life uh, situations. And also, you know, in a lot of movies that are trying to capture things is, is that character would um, put himself, put part of what he wants into the story. But right. instead he, he stays, he stays back and he let, he lets it be Connor's story and Connor's mm-hmm. life. Um, the other relationship that really stood out to me, um, I, I'm not, I mean, we could talk about a lot about, you know, Connor and Rafina and their love story. And maybe we will, I don't know, but maybe we don't have to, uh, it's a good one. It's sweet. It's got its moments. Um, but these other characters are just so rich, man. Um, but Barry <laughs> and, and I, I hope I'm not the only one out there that really got just touched and moved by Barry and, and his arc because he's, he's almost like a throwaway character in most films or in most films, he would be a throwaway character. I should say, um, he's the bully who's there to antagonize and give Connor someone to eventually overcome. Like that's, that's why you would think he would be there. And that by all accounts for most of the film, that's what you see he's going to be. But there is a redemption arc for this guy that is unlike something I've seen in films like this. Um, and so we see Barry, you know, we, we start off with Barry's, quick um meeting of connor and he he sling he puts the slingshot up to his face which is great by the way i just want to bring that up this is the 80s and our weapons at this time are slingshots <laughs> that is so accurate <laughs> um and you know he's like dance right and he 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 basically pushes him to do stuff and connor's like no i'm not gonna do that sorry and so he decides he's time to pick on him because he stood up to him and so he starts off that way, and then we see him again antagonizing Connor throughout seeing him making his videos, and then eventually we see him with his dad come upon the band, and he's making fun of them, and his dad hits him. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment when I went, 
oh my gosh, there is so much more to this guy. Like, it's not, he's not just a bully. Like, now, now we know why he's a bully. He's a bully because this is what happens to him at home, and this is what he knows. So he is getting his aggression out the only way he knows he can, which is to push it forward. And so it all made sense to me. Um, And that's why just one of the coolest and greatest parts of this movie for me was his redemption arc at the end when the boys go up to, you think it's going to end when Connor goes up to Barry and tells him, gives him this big speech about how, you know, he's the one that's losing and Connor's not. And he gives him this whole like speech on the steps in front of everybody. And it basically Mm -hmm. kind of like embarrasses him and you think it's going to end there. But instead, our our band, our boys, go to his house, and they extend the gift of friendship to him, and they offer him a chance to be in the band, and they forgive him, and they reach out to him, and they help get him out of that situation. And the joy on Barry's face when he is walking out of that house, because at first he's like, I don't know about this, and then his dad yells at him, and he's like, you know what? <laughs> I got to do this. And he walks out, and the joy on his face, man, he is smiling. He jumps. He kind of, like, skips and hops, clicks his heels together, and, like, pounds his fist into his hand. He is happy. That is probably the number one scene that I will remember from this film, is Barry Mm. walking out of his house overjoyed because these guys who he has terrorized have completely unselfishly and unconditionally offered him forgiveness, offered him a place to be part of them. And I just think it's an amazing anti-bullying message. Um, it gets to the heart of what many kids deal with. Um, and it, it does it without preaching it. You know, it does it by showing, not telling. And so for me, that is one of the biggest things I will remember about Sing Street. Well, and you, uh, you made a point that in, in that instance, two things, the, something was happening with, with both Barry and with Connor, they were both taking risks, you know, and if you want to insert something like rock and roll is a risk, well, embracing your bully, your enemy is a risk. You risk being whatever. And that theme is resonating in that one moment where Barry is taking a risk to not only get out of his abusive family's house, but also put down that, that facade of, uh, of bully in order to become part of this, <laughs> I'm going to use this pun band of brothers. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one though. But at the same time, Connor's doing the same thing. You know, he didn't have, you're exactly right. After that one scene where he, where he says, you know, um, you, you may think you live in my world, but you don't, or, or that you may think that I live in your world, but I don't, you live in mine or something like that. You you would think okay that's it that's we're done with the Barry arc now, now we get this moment where where Connor takes a risk and he says look we need we need a bouncer and you know he was obviously saying more than that and the 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 forgiveness in that moment was was a risk for both for both Barry and for Connor so. Yeah, it was um, it was is a very touching moment. I, I didn't pick up on it the first time around. The second time, I, I I caught it a little bit more. But 
the moment that he got slapped, it did resonate with me both times. I just didn't, I didn't connect with it as much until the second time around. And it made that one, that moment where he comes out of his parents' apartment, out of his flat, um, that much more redemptive. Yeah, I think so too. Um, one of the other, so we talked about the brothers a lot. We talked about, you know, the, the taking the risks, um, but we would be remiss if we don't at least mention the music. This is not a musical. We went through this a couple episodes ago before we did the podcast (laughs) where Patrick and I had a debate about whether or not this was a musical. I will admit this is not a musical, but this is a movie with a lot of music. So um, what did you think? You're the music guy, so I want you to go first because you play the instruments. This is not my expertise here, but what did you, what did you think of it? Um, I should have just known that I was going to do this. The moment I finished the movie, I bought the soundtrack. Great. I, I just, and, and I'm, I'm so impressed with Carney because he writes, he directs and he does the original music for this movie. And I believe he does it for begin again. I had the same response for begin again that I did for this one. And the, the music in context amplifies how good it is. If you were to hand me this soundtrack, having and, and I hadn't seen the movie, it probably wouldn't have hit me the way it did. But because everything, again, because of the creation moments of these songs, I I connected with them, and they I I just I valued them so much more. I enjoyed them so much more. And <laughs> I'm gonna you know I'm gonna use Brendan as an example. He's right. When you watch a music video. You're watching art, as he says, you know, in his Irish, you know, in his Irish accent. You're watching art, and you're watching a story being told. And so every time I hear uh, "Drive Like You Stole It" or "The Riddle of the Model" or "Up," I I see the scenes in my head, and I just smile. Mm-hmm. And it makes the song so much. The songs themselves are not anything amazing. These are not things I would expect to hear on top 40 or on country, you know, whatever genre they're fitting in at the time. But because I have context, because I have, uh, these, these connecting points of, of, of visuals, they matter so much more to me and I enjoy them so much in particular up is one of my favorites because of this thing where we, we see Connor and Eamon on acoustic and piano. We see the song build, um, musically. And as it builds musically, the camera is doing like a circular rotation, adding those instruments. And we see, you know, the scene starts out with just them in the room. And then we see the bass player added and then the keyboard is added and then the electric guitar added and then the vocals. And it reminded me of the scene from begin again, where, um, where you have Mark Ruffalo imagining all the instruments around Kira Knightley when she's playing the acoustic song near the beginning mm-hmm. of the movie. And, Again, the reason why I love that song in that movie is for that same exact reason because I'm seeing that scene in my head and it was just so just beautiful to me visually and musically. It was just great. Yeah, I, I can't agree more with you. I think you explained it perfectly. So I won't try and, and outdo that because you nailed the way or the reason for why these songs can connect with us. I particularly love um, To Find Her the, the video that goes along with that, the way that uh, the visuals take place. 
um, with some of his kind of dreamy sequences that are going on. Um, I think, I think Carney does a, a cool thing with that, the, the way that the visuals, um, alternate at times between reality and a, mm-hmm. what, what we see to be a dream sequence. Many times we know for a fact, that's what it is. You know, when Connor's, yeah, I love the back to the future nod, obviously where that yes. was really cool. Um, <laughs> then I just like, I cringed when somebody said that they didn't know what that was. I was just like, what? <laughs> but we get to see, you know, his brother has, has become like a college, you know, success story or something. He he's, he's out, he's, he's outside the house for the first time ever. Um, he's cleaned up, he protects him from her ex-boyfriend who's evil and mean, you know, and we see their, his parents together and everything is right in the world. And I mm-hmm. love that dream sequence. So the music reminds me of that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to segue with that though, because uh, um, well, well, before I segue, I did not buy the soundtrack. I have Spotify though, and we have been jamming out to it uh, in the car. So the kids watched this one with me and they loved it too. And so Good man. Good Tyler, man. Tyler just throws on drive it like you stole it and he'll hit repeat and we'll just listen to it over and over and over and over. Um, <laughs> really, really good. So good. Yeah, and the cool thing is, like, it's interspersed with, like, older songs, you know, from, like, The Cure yeah. and yeah. Um, Oats or Daryl Hall, not Oats, <laughs> the other guy, and um, some other bands. And so um, they've actually been picking up on those and learning the lyrics of those and singing along with some of those older pop songs, which is really kind of a neat <laughs> experience for me. Yeah. But <laughs> the segue I was going to make, um, if we could just talk about this real quick, uh, is the ending scene when... They are sailing away. Well, I guess they're not sailing technically. They're paddling away. They're 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 not paddling either. They're they're, they're motor 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 boating away um, <laughs> into the great beyond, and they almost run into the Titanic. Um, or at least that's what I envision it as. <laughs> but they they're out in the sea, and it is choppy, and it is gross and awful. And they almost run into this big tanker, and they just sit there and all. Another one of my favorite scenes from the film that I will remember is the ending with just the rain on the face. What did you get out of that, man? Did you, did, did this happen? So at what point, I guess at what point for you, and it may be that, that it never ends being realistic, but if there is a point, was there somewhere that you think the real aspect of what Connor and Rafina are doing by getting in this boat and leaving stops and fantasy dream world begins or did you believe it was just really what happened well you know if, if i'm being truthful i think it really I felt like it really happened but going back a second time and you know doing a little bit of research knowing that it could be open to interpretation i looked at that scene again the second time and i think once they went around i guess the big rock or the big structure whatever it was and brendan basically says like yes you know and um you know cheering and screaming at that point i think that's when it could legitimately have been either real or a dream because they could have they could have run into that boat you know they could have crashed and with the rains coming down it didn't feel like the quote happy ending but it could have been because the scene ended with them just behind the big giant crew the the ship that was taking the Irish people over to London mm-hmm. 
Um, or it could have been that moment they could have died by crashing into the boat or the ship or whatever. Um, but I like the ambiguity of it because it's interpreted based on how we reacted to the film as a whole. For me, I reacted to it being real because I wanted them to succeed. Yeah. Other people may have said this wasn't very believable and it could have been like, well, if nothing else, that felt like a dream because I saw a bunch of other dream sequences like the drive like you stole it dream sequence. Yeah. So um, Carney leaves it very open to interpretation and I think that's a really wonderful thing. I agree. I think that it's very ambiguous as well and I think it's on purpose and I think that that's a great choice because when I first saw it, of course I initially am watching it and I'm, I'm taking everything at face value. And then as I started to think about the film after I was done watching it and process it and say, okay, you know, I'm going to talk to people about this movie. What am I going to tell them about the movie? And I was thinking about the ending and I was like, man, I wonder, you know, that's kind of like a lot like the dream sequences transitions because the transitions are pretty darn seamless. Like you can't, they're not blatant. Um, and, you, and so it felt very much like that. Um, and the, the, I guess what I take out of it is the, the success of the movie, the success of Connor's story is the risk. He took the risk, right? It's taking the risk. Mm -hmm. They took the mm -hmm. risk. They got in the boat and they took off. Whatever happens after they left that pier with their, with his brother's blessing, person that matters most to him in his life, it's like, it doesn't matter, honestly, because right. they took the risk. They did what they needed to do. And yeah. so the result of what happens when you take the risk is not what's important. Yeah. What's important. Absolutely. Is what's, imp what's important is that you took the risk. Um, yep. I want to hit, I want to just mention a couple quick things that I loved about this film. And, and if you have a, if you have some, we'll let, well, you can uh, mention yours too. But one thing that made me laugh so hard is the way that the boys handled meeting in gig. Um, the first time <laughs> I thought this was brilliant because the way that this goes down could easily be, you know, in this very heightened sense of racism that we have in our day right now in this, this culture, um, it could almost be offensive, but I think that it was handled with such gentleness and care and historical accuracy that it was never meant to be offensive. Like the boys they treat him like he's an alien because they're not used to it. They haven't, they haven't dealt with knowing an African American guy. Like they don't have any friends that are African Americans. They don't. They're not comfortable and familiar with that. And so, when uh, gosh, I don't remember the guy's name, um, the manager guy, the the little short. Oh yeah. But I when when he's talking to Ingig and he's like, "Do you speak English?" Right. I laughed because it was so genuine and because there wasn't racism. It wasn't that they thought of him as lower than them. They thought of him as different because to him, to them, he was different, but they didn't think of him as lower. They never put him on a different playing field because he was, he was a musician. They just wanted to be able to communicate and get to know him and have him join the band. And mm -hmm. I just thought it was a really cool scene. Um, you know, with so much of that going on today, um, that's a, tr that's a, it's a, you know, risky thing to put that it's scene tricky. in there, in it's my tricky, opinion. Yeah. And I thought he handled it with, with great care. Yeah. And so that one stood out to me. Uh, 
another one that I really like is um, when the just the way that the genuine capturing of again I mentioned the 15 16 year old boys how they felt like they were 15 and 16 uh, toward the end when they're talking about whether or not to do the disco Connor asks Eamon about doing the gig and Eamon says absolutely not we're not ready and then he kind of pauses for half a second and he, he just cocks his head and he asks he says will there be girls at the disco and Connor says yeah of course <laughs> and then he goes I say we do it. And I just thought <laughs> that's everything, right? Your logic just spoke. Everything about you, your your initial answer was correct. Logic tells you no, we aren't ready. We don't need to do this yet. And yet you're a 15-year-old boy, and when you think about it and you go, "Hmm, but girls." <laughs> and okay, <laughs> who cares? Like, you know, game on, right? And that's that's the way you make decisions when you're 15. So I just thought that captured it in such a great way. Oh, for sure. There was definitely throughout the whole movie, a sense of real innocence, but it gave way to a real growing up type of type of feel. We, we see the, the, there wasn't really, I mean, I, I mentioned several of my favorite scenes, but the, I'm going to talk about the costumes for just a minute, because I think that, seeing the transformation of Connor from the beginning of the movie as a timid little little boy to seeing him experimenting with these different looks to ending up looking like an adult by the time he and Rafina take off on that boat. It's looking back on it, I'm going, wow. I One, I can't believe that someone made me feel this way about someone who didn't physically age during the course of filming this movie, but through the the great use of costumes and not only seeing him change, but seeing his band members start dressing up a little bit more like the, the artists that they're trying to emulate that by the end, they're just, they're, they're walking around with a sense of confidence. And I think it, I think it comes to a, to a real, I mean, I think, I think the climax of that is when they're, when they're at the at the dance and they're they're playing their songs and again the risk he risks playing a slow song because he knows and the band knows that that's 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 a band killer right there for a high school thing and they were like five couples that were maybe dancing during that song oh yeah it was a bomb (laughs) it was for all intents and purposes Mm -hmm. but he did it yep and i just gosh I, if if there was a place of empathy that I really felt, it was this guy putting everything on the line to just show off his art, mm-hmm. knowing that it wasn't going to quote succeed, but he did it anyway. And in some ways, that's like the the writer director. That's right, like Carney. He's like, look, this will probably this may bomb or this may succeed or this may be mediocre, but it's my art and I'm proud of it. And this is this is the way I create. And so. Mr. Carney, if you're listening, please listen to this. I think you're great, and I will watch probably anything you do. Yeah. So there it is. Yeah, ditto for that, man. I am right there with you. I I love it. I am I'm all in on Carney going forward. Um, he's moved up into that pantheon of directors that I have that I will I will see anything without needing a synopsis or anything at all. Just put his name on it, and I'm going to go see it now. And I'll probably buy a soundtrack too. You know, yeah. <laughs> I'll take you one step further. That's something I'll probably buy a soundtrack. Yeah. 
Hey, <laughs> so let's go ahead and do uh, move into our connecting points. Um, it's that that one point in the film, you know, that we both really just felt that we resonated with the movie the most. Um, we got the most out of it. It hit home or whatever. Um, I'd like you to go first. Okay. Um, Brandon, as we mentioned, is, is my favorite character. He surprised me. He um, he inspired me in a lot of ways. And there was one moment in particular just after the family finds out that their parents are divorcing. And we, I mean, we know that that's probably going to happen because the family, it, there's no happy moment with, with mom and dad. And they find out their parents are divorcing. Uh, Connor and Brandon go up to his room. And I don't know how the conversation gets started, but Brandon basically sits him down and he says, you're the youngest. You get to follow the path that I machete through the jungle that is our mad family. And then he goes on to talk about how insane it was before, before Connor got there. It's like you weren't with these guys when, when I was a baby. You know, these guys who... <laughs> How do you what he said who only wanted to have sex because only got married because they wanted to have sex a couple of Catholics anyway that's what he said that, he said a couple of Catholics who just wanted to have sex sex that's why they got married and uh he said but but you know you you just moved into my jet stream and he get and he, and his voice starts escalating, and people laugh at me, the stoner, the college dropout, and they praise you, which is fine, and then he goes, but once I was an effing jet engine. In that moment, when he says that, so many things are being said. We see Brandon's regret at not taking the chances that Connor has been taking. We see his frustration at the opportunities that he, that he missed. But at the same time, we see his empowering Connor, not only to not make the same mistakes that he did, but to grab hold of what he's already been doing and to say, almost in a weird way, I am so incredibly proud of you. You have something that I missed and I want you to take it. There's not a sense of jealousy at all. It could have been. I mean, this could have been Brandon's moment to say, I'm so insanely jealous of what you've become. But instead, he's passing the torch of independence and the risk of being ridiculed, uh, as he said earlier in the movie. And he's saying, you can do this. This is your moment. Take hold of it. And I love Connor's reaction because there's that moment after he says, you know, I was a jet engine and there's a pause and Connor says, I'll be back. And he goes to the bathroom and he just weeps, you know, he's washing his face and he weeps and stuff like that. But I think when we see Brandon, when we capture that about Brandon, what we see is a guy that is completely broken but at the same time is being completely redeemed because everything that he knows, everything that he feels is now being expressed in his younger brother. And I think that's to me that <laughs> when, when I see the dedication at the end that says for brothers everywhere, I'm like, well, there it was. This wasn't a love story necessarily about a boy meets girl and boy falls in love with girl. This was a story about brothers. This is a story about Brendan and Connor and maybe more so about Brandon himself. Uh, but it was beautiful, man. Well, that's my connecting point as well. Um, we like to try and, <laughs> we like to try and have different ones. Um, but we're not going to force that. And we've, we've, we've talked about that 
amongst ourselves many times. And there's just no doubt about it. That was the everything for me in this film as well. Um, the, I tweeted it out. I tweeted that line out immediately uh, once I heard it. Um, the jet engine line is it's it's a defining line of a film. It's one that I will never forget. I mean, it's a it's a tattooable line is what it is. It's it means so like you said you said it perfectly again. It means so much in that one sentence. It's not about the words. It's about what it means. And that's why I say that, you know, it's the kind that you could, you could tattoo where you could, you could always remember. And I just, it broke my heart in a way. It broke my heart in somewhat. I had somewhat regrets and sadness for Brendan and what he'd given up, um, what he did not get to miss out on or get to experience because of um, what he had poured into now Connor going forward. But Everything about how it plays out between the two of them, um, you know, keeps that at a very small level because it's just so much joy and understanding this relationship because that's, that's what it's all about. Um, and that's, that's really what real life is all about too. I mean, these guys love each other. They love each other. And it's not that ooey gooey love word that's thrown around with boy meets girl because she's pretty sitting on a sidewalk, you know. It's real love. It's love is action. You know, it's love and sacrifice and those kind of things. And their relationship symbolizes that so much. And so I'm going to go ahead and like just spin it a little bit forward uh, for a couple other scenes that tag on to that that I thought were great because that it just captures that whole relationship. Um, when Connor comes back with Rafina in the middle of the night, he goes up to Brendan and he's like talking about leaving. He's, he's like, we're going to go, right? We're going to England. And Brandon's just sitting there casual, like, right? He doesn't freak out. He did, his reaction is great because he's, he's such a calm, calm demeanored person. He, he doesn't overreact and go crazy right off the bat. Um, and, Con, and he says, do you know anybody in England? And Connor's like, no. He's like, do you have any Sterling? And they're like, no. And he looks at Rafina and she's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so, I mean, of course they don't, right? These are questions we know the answer to before they come. And Brendan just looks at him for half a second and he says, let's go get the keys and jumps up. <laughs> and it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter yeah. because it's what they want to do. And he knows that he's following his heart and he's taking the risks that he needs to take. And he's behind that. and He's going to be supportive even when it's scary for him. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, he goes out there and he tries to mask his feelings some with humor because they're at the boat. And he says, you'll probably die, <laughs> but anyway, get on, you know, he's like, just get on the boat and go, you're, you're going to die. I don't know what's going to happen. But like he, he, he fully acknowledges what it matters. And then mm -hmm. you brought this scene up earlier. Again, one of the very, you know, the, the handful that I'm going to remember from this movie, most movies, I don't remember scenes particularly like this big. This one has three, four, five of them, um, but it's Brendan screaming and cheering and jumping up in the air and screaming yes because Connor is gone and Connor has done what he needed to do and taken that risk. And so seeing him take so much joy in his brother's happiness and not his own, it's that selflessness factor. Dude, that is so rare in real life and it's so rare in movies. And so, you know, I read a Rolling Stone article and I want to end kind of with this because I think it sums it up. 
And in this Rolling Stone article, part of their review, uh, they wrote that um, Carney captures the tenderest of moments without an ounce of Hollywood BS. And so that, true. And that's so Sing true. Street for you right there. And so if, if, that, if you haven't seen it and you've listened to this podcast, please, you owe it to yourself to see this movie. If, if I, I could recommend one movie this year so far, it would be Sing Street. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take that one step further, farther. I'm, I'm, which which one do I use? Is it further? Oh gosh, let's not do grammar. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> one step more. I'm gonna take it one step ahead, and I'm gonna say this. Um, any of our listeners, after you've seen the movie, please, please, go onto Facebook and just tell us why you love the movie. I want to hear genuine responses. Like this is me talking. This isn't necessarily us plugging the podcast. I genuinely want to know. What moments resonated with you guys on this movie? This is this is how important this movie was to me because it, I, I connected with it on so many levels. I would love to see not only people saying, "Dude, it was a fantastic movie." Chime off. Tell us why. Tell us what made it great for you. What moments did you guys connect with? Um, if you don't know where you can find us to put that stuff in, you can check us out on Facebook.com/slash/FeelingFilm. You can also tweet at us at feelinfilm, F-E-E-L-I-N-F-I-L-M, or you can go to our website, feelinfilm.com. Any place that you can find us, please just sound off because we want to hear from you. If you want to talk to me directly, at Shoeless Patch on Twitter and Facebook, um, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. What about you, Aaron? Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Um, There is a Facebook group. Uh, If you go to the Facebook page Patrick mentioned, uh, you can find a link to it there in the sidebar. Um, I it's not got a special uh, URL for it, unfortunately, that I can give you. Lots of numbers. It's got lots of numbers. It does. After. There is a link directly to the Facebook group uh, on the website, though. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's where the discussion happens for the most part. That's where you can make your own post. Um, but you know, if you don't want to do that, you can use the the, the main Facebook page as well. Uh, just put your thoughts underneath the art, uh, episode post there, and we will happily interact. Um, but I would, I do, I too want to hear why people love this movie because I haven't, I have not heard a single person yet respond to this one with less than saying I loved it. Not a single person. Um, and that is a pretty special thing. Uh, so you can find me if you would like to, uh, all over the interwebs at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. Next week, we are keeping with the singing film. Uh, you know, thing. And we are going to theme. Yes, we are keeping with the singing film theme. And we are going to be covering the musical, a real musical, West Side Story, which oh, I, nice. the musical lover, a musical lover, have never seen. So I am oh. super excited both to watch it and then also to talk about it. Yeah, man. I am, I am, I'm totally jacked about talking about this. This is one of my favorites, if not my favorite musical of all time um it's just so good so um i don't want to say any more because i want to save it all for next week (laughs) i hope glad i'm glad you i'm glad you're gonna do that and i cannot wait to hear it uh but yeah so that's that's all we got for this episode uh until next time just stay positive and keep feeling filmed